Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy. At Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Ed Kramer, CGI artist from Industrial Light and Magic. I worked on the Scarabs from The Mummy, the Rock Monster from Galaxy Quest, and you are listening to The Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2019 and beyond. I am your host, Zach. Mm, sounds weird. I shouldn't be the host. Uh, and joining me as always is... Brad. Yeah. Uh, every week we go see a new movie and podcast our experience to the world. This week we saw Glass. M. Night Shyamalan's Glass. Um, the two dullest nerds... Uh, in the room are gonna. This sounds like the 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 lame guys teaming up. <laughs> yeah, the lamest of the nerds are teaming up for this episode. Sorry, you're gonna have everyone else on it, but we'll find out if tales of the legendary Zeist are true. <laughs> uh, Brad, how you doing? How was your week? Uh, productive. I got the last of my uh, Blu-rays done, except for Van Dam. Yeah. All the forty-hour stuff is on Blu-ray. I feel. Like less of the weight of the world is on my shoulders, so that's pretty nice. <laughs> I feel like I can come up with stuff again. There you go. Well, you put your heart and soul into those things, man. I, I, did. I love the um, Thunderbolt cover, by the way. I don't think I've told you that, but I, I do like the cover, cover artwork. The cover artwork, yeah, yeah. Cool, yeah. Crack into some of those. I put a lot of work into the bonus features. No, I know. I um. Well, I've got the If It Bleeds, and did I get Thunderbolt two or Thunderbolt one? Two, because you worked on two. That's right. Yeah, I got two because I worked on that one. Yeah. Um, and then um. Cardigan Sorrow also has one finally coming, yeah. um, which it feels weird that that one was delayed, but, you know, you, you were a hard worker, so. <laughs> well, there was a lot of bonus. There was a documentary on that where everyone did interviews about the weekend. Oh, nice. That I had to cut together, and that was the hardest part, but Ooh. I, I powered through it, and it, it's done. Everything's done. All, gonna... all, all nine films are on Blu-ray now, so. Nice. Excellent. I only have a few. The other yeah. ones are out of print. <laughs> no, there's, there's copies. You just, just got to buy them because you don't work on them. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And they're limited runs, so... I want to work on this year's one, but I also heard that Kristen Nolan's no longer the producer on the show element of it. Yeah, I'm not sure why, but the reality is she isn't, so um, they're looking for someone to uh, succeed her, because no one will replace her. 
But um, I don't know who could do that job because it's pretty hardcore. They, the, the email they sent asking people like me to fill in mm-hmm. um, asks a lot of work for basically commission. Um, ah. So, yeah, a lot of effort goes into that. And uh, I don't know who could fill. She has a lot of connections that, that make that festival run smoothly. And I don't know who else can fill that void. And if they don't fill it, I can, you know, I worry that they will just, you know, take a pass on this year and not do it. Maybe it'll be like the Oscars, no host. (laughs) (laughs) It'll just appear out of thin air. (laughs) I mean, if money's not involved, like we could do it on our own. Like the mechanics of the, of the project don't require a lot. It's the screenings. Yeah. It's just finding a space to show those. Expensive and, you know, um, I can get a space, but, uh, but maybe for one element of it, you mean like the thing about it is like if anybody doesn't know the forty-eight hour, they have a, a a screening after everything's all said and done. Yeah, the following week. And then the following, how many weeks is after is it when they do the final fifteen? About a month. About a month. Okay. Yeah. So, but the first round of screenings, they show everything that every team, every yeah. team that's in the blocks, and they have like different time blocks, so it occupies about three theaters at the minimum. Uh, one theater, but about five times a day. Okay. Oh, so so they don't put it into multiples, like at the C. Only if uh, like ticket sales are so large for a block that they split it. Right. So that's, so that's rare. But so the issue then becomes is like, can you rent out a theater for the entire day? I mean, you could probably do it at an AMC or a Regal, but I'm sure they're way more expensive than what C and Esquire were charging. So, and Esquire's out of commission at this point. Yeah, for the um, moment. So. Wh- whether it'll stay out of commission is up to the fate of time. But yeah, they made a post recently insisting that they would be back. But again, I don't, I'm not sure they've even evaluated how costly their repairs are going to be. And it turns out it was a plumbing issue. Mm. So uh, you know what we should do? You get green a green shirt and some overalls. I'll get a red shirt and some overalls. Hell we'll yeah! Put on some mustaches. Eat some mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> We gotta we gotta get to the job in thirty minutes or less, otherwise the other brothers will take the job. Whoa, Zach, there's a piranha plant growing out of this toilet. Brad, shut up. I'm trying to deal with this popcorn trying to eat me. <laughs> oh I oh I love mushrooms, Zach and Brad. <laughs> New characters, guys. Watch um, out. These Goombas are walking up to us. <laughs> Goombas, that's racist. <laughs> oh, oh, shit, man. I'm having a crisis. Oh, am I woke? Am I woke? Am I woke? Well, obviously, I'm not because I'm seeing things. <laughs> I'm freaking out, man. <laughs> <laughs> shit, man. Let's go down that pipe. <laughs> Wait, no. We'll just go down in my pipe. <laughs> the next morning, the lights go on in the theater. Did you two break in here? <laughs> <laughs> We're just writhing around on the floor. Uh, that's my more head hurts. That's more ecstasy, but still. Yeah. <laughs> Um. <laughs> do, oh, and then the guy who's asking us is just the is is Bowser, and we're just like, get him! <laughs> Start throwing hammers at him. They're throwing giant plumber's wrenches at him. <laughs> I'll stop him with his fireball. I just take a, bo- a bag full of fireballs and just start throwing it at him. <laughs> Brad and Zach were arrested for assault and drug <laughs> paraphernalia. <laughs> when when asked to comment about their arrest, they said, "Mamma mia." <laughs> 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 it's a me, prisoner one two seven. <laughs> um, no, but um, no. I mean, I hope they do find a new um, curator for it. Um, yeah, either way, it's gonna, it's gonna be different. It's maybe uh, quite a bit different dynamic, and 
And I meant to tell you before we proceed, uh, I was on Letterboxd looking through some stuff, and I saw that Jean-Claude Van Damme's Dan Van has an entry on Letterboxd. It does. Which I never knew, so I took the time to review it. Excellent. I gave it five stars. As you should have. I gave it a a classy review. Cool. Uh, It's the most biased review I could possibly give. Look forward to reading those words. (laughs) It said, eat shit bread. (laughs) Valid. Get bent. <laughs> I'm gonna kill I'm, yourself. I'm, I'm, oh no 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 no! We on Real Nerds Podcast don't want you to kill yourself. No. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway, we also talk about uh, movies that we've been watching. Uh, what's coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, uh, widescreen letterbox, laserdisc, um, and movie news, and um, every so often we uh, get a. I guess it's now more weekly. We get uh, letters from our correspondent, Corinne, uh, called Catching the Classics with Corinne. There's no real pause for that. We don't have a theme yet. (laughs) Yeah, no. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, this is what she wrote. Hey, nerds. Sorry, no Catching the Classics this week. No, boo. I'm hoping to get around to watching the comedy horror film next week. But I did want to share my thoughts on two relatively new films I saw this weekend. The first, Paddington 2. Oh, shit. Henry's listening with full ears. (laughs) Yeah. Henry's paying attention. You nerds have talked about it already, including the film Explosion episode, but I hadn't seen it yet. I do remember thinking the first Paddington was adorable, but this film was even more so. Everyone is on their A-game in this movie, especially Hugh Grant and Ben Wishaw, who voices Paddington. The film moves well and has even better writing than the first one, in my opinion. The main reason I feel that's the case is because the villain wasn't as overdone as the Nicole Kidman's character was in the first one. Hmm. Hugh Grant's character is much more kid-friendly, and I I agree with you nerds that the scenes of him playing his various characters are utterly hilarious. (laughs) They are. There are two quick things about him and Paddington that I want to point out. And spoilers ahead. Number one, at one point, Hugh Grant's agent makes a comment about how he wants to do a one-man show because he can't bear to work with other people because they dilute his talent. And yet... (laughs) By the very end of the film, we see that he has opened himself back up to working with other people. Side note, I never knew how much I needed Hugh Grant and company performing an elaborate musical number in a pink prison jumpsuit until I received it. Yeah. Um, which actually reminds me, I don't know if she's seen a Grand Budapest Hotel, but uh, yeah, well, it's kind of the same without the musical part. Yeah, not a musical, but uh, Harvey Keitel looks great in a prison suit. <laughs> Uh, number two, I think what I love about this film most is the small but crucial detail of the book and why the protagonist and antagonist each want it. Hugh Grant's character wants it purely for selfish reasons, and he steals the book, whereas Paddington was working really hard to earn money to buy the book as a present for Aunt Lucy. Mm-hmm. And while we never saw it, I bet if Paddington had found out the book had contained a treasure map, he still wouldn't have let Aunt Lucy because, or he still wouldn't have sent it to Aunt Lucy because he's that caring and she means that much to him. There's also a contrast in how the two treat the book and other things. Paddington is maybe a bit clumsy, as we see with the sock, but he cares about things even though no one else does, and even if they're not his, as we see him cleaning the windows for the colonel. Whereas the villain writes down notes in a -a one-of-a-kind book. Jerk. (laughs) If I have any complaint, it's that Peter Capaldi returned for a small role where he's a major a-hole. Not sure why he was in the movie. At least in the first one, he was a little bit more complex and had more screen time. Yeah. Here he's just a cartoon. But I'm biased, obviously, because I like Capaldi and I hate seeing him wasted on in a film. Mm. Anyway, I could rant about how someone... Yeah. 
Anyway, I could rant about how awesome this movie is, but Henry has already done that plenty. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised that Ryan still hasn't seen it, considering he's the only nerd with a kid. Uh, uh, until now. Uh, well, coming t- forthcoming news from another one of us. <laughs> um, I'm asking you nerds to peer pressure him into watching the Pennington movies. But on a whole, on the whole, this film will make your heart smile. Go see it. Watch it with your kids. Any any thoughts on Paddington before I move on to the next? Uh, review? Well, I mean, the Capaldi thing actually is interesting because, like, yeah, the character does kind of just unceremoniously return as a shitbag in the second one, where in the first one there was like that character turn where he notifies the family about um, Nicole Kidman's character because Nicole Kidman's seducing Peter Capaldi in that first film. Um, I don't think it hurts the film, but it's interesting if you're following the logic of the films. But, I mean, they're Paddington movies. I'm not going to, like, you know, throw a bunch of rocks at it for that, you know. And I mean, they're great movies. Um, and then also the uh, the whole... Uh, the the idea the the idea of padding of, of Hugh Grant's character and whatnot like I I I said it on the film explosion like that's a great character villain arc whatnot and I like that even he gets some form of redemption or at least satisfactory conclusion at the end of the film even if it's in the credits so anyway so the second film I saw this weekend was Aquaman <laughs> I just got out yeah of, <laughs> I just got out of the theater actually so I'll keep my thoughts brief my man. I had kind of low expectations for it based on your guys' reviews, but I went to see it with a friend, and he likes Jason Momoa and said it was a good movie and that I should give it a chance. And having seen it just now, I'll say I liked it more than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful movie visually. Uh, The effects were cartoonish in parts, but when is people talking underwater ever going to look real? (laughs) I thought all the actors were charismatic, even if the story was a bit weak in some parts. Once they got to Atlantis, I I was on board. The synth music and futuristic-looking world definitely gave me Blade Runner vibes. Mm-hmm. Overall, you could do worse. I think Wonder <laughs> Woman is a better movie, but Aquaman wasn't as bad as I thought. Thanks, and hope you guys have a good week. I mean, I agree it's visually like amazing, but uh, like I, Mark Bernard uh, agreed with the, me this week that like uh, Arthur Curry doesn't like earn anything. Like he acquires a trident. And that solves his problems. Mm-hmm. How I will counterpoint it only briefly with this. I, so my my friend from high from middle and high school who's in the military in South Carolina. Um, shout out to Sam. He was texting me asking me if I should if he should go see Aquaman or Ralph breaks the internet. And I said like, well, both are watchable. What are you looking for? And he's like, well, tell me about Aquaman. And I'm like, Aquaman is just dumb, stupid fun. If you can get on board with that, you will have so much fun with this movie. I've past the point with well until we talk about it in our film this week i've passed the point with dc where i am looking for anything substantial or solid in the cinematic universe thing i'm just going to the movie to watch it on its own merits which is what i should have been doing from the get-go anyway and aquaman is fun on its own terms and it doesn't need to it this is going to sound dumb it doesn't need to necessarily be anything too compelling or rich in storytelling it just needed me to have fun with watching jason momoa be aquaman and i did have fun with it but i will admit it is not a strong movie and it is super long but well dc set the precedent of having substance with their comic book films with the dark knight trilogy i know that's where the expectation comes from i know and this seems like the counterpoint of what they think the audience wants now where as they thought they knew what the audience wanted with bvs and suicide squad and 
even Justice League in certain parts. So I I would just say meet Aquaman on its own terms and you will be just fine. But if you're looking for depth and the stuff you want out of the Aquaman DC stuff, maybe not so. But yeah. I And guess, I agree, he doesn't earn anything in the movie, but I guess I just should say that he he does learn like to not kill his enemies, but that's like such a shallow uh, he learns to be character goal. He learns that sometimes being a bro is not everything, and sometimes you have to be less bro, my man. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for writing in, Corinne. Yeah, cool. Right on, um, Brad. Is there anything going around town? Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. No. Okay, the, cool. The Esquire is still down, <laughs> um, and there's no local things that I'm a part of. So <laughs> theater shut down day seven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you, uh, if you if you want some just uh, comedy shows, uh, check out the Bug Schedule. They they have a uh, a couple things going on, but not nothing really film related going on around town. I like the idea of the Nerd Night thing that they're going to be doing, or what? I think that's what it's called, Nerd Night. Yeah, if you like educational sciencey nerd stuff, then yeah. Oh yeah, I mean. But Shoot, yeah, they're probably not going to be about movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Well, then, uh, shall we spin um, the newspaper in our minds into some real news? It's real news. I can't believe I struggled with that so much. It felt like I so. know it's your job to lead the show this week. And you know you're what? I, you know it up. I'm not Ryan. <laughs> I wish I could. Clearly, be. you know what? Fine, I've done that you, forever. I'll wear a Gordon Ramsay shirt and I'll just start talking about Sam Raimi nonstop. Is was that, that was that, that Ryan's attire? Gordon Ramsay shirts? Was that? I thought he wore a Gordon Ramsay shirt. Or, it, no, it, no shirt. Uh, hat. Sorry, hat. Okay. Yeah, he wears those. Like, he wears that Gordon Ramsay hat, right? Or at least he did at one I mean, point. I think I've seen him in a Spider-Man hat more often than I've seen him wear Gordon Ramsay hats. I thought he had a Gordon Ramsay hat when I first met Ryan's him. iconic look is like <laughs> Spider-Man ball cap, pink polo, and then uh, like shorts. And occasionally that, uh, nowadays, that new homecoming uh, hoodie that he has. Yeah, if, if it's a little chilly out, he has a homecoming hoodie. <laughs> I like how you said Ryan's iconic look. <laughs> there are there are many looks throughout the history of fashion, and Ryan is definitely at the... He's the poster boy for he, that he, one. He is, he is our generation's last hope for fashion. And unapologetic. <laughs> he does not care. And super sexy. <laughs> the, at the end of his fashion commercial is a big middle finger. <laughs> Um, well, um, we actually got hit with some fun trailers or, well, one of them's fun and the other one's a mystery. Um, we'll start with the fun one, Spider-Man Far From Home. Do we want to play it or can we just talk about it? Uh, yeah, Ryan's not here. We'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> uh, it looks fun. It looks a lot of fun. I saw that at last week's show. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, it looks fun. I, um, I, I enjoyed watching, um, them kind of giving like just how do we how do you proceed from homecoming because like at this point i can't really take into account uh infinity war because um it seems like this is all happening as i can tell so far before infinity war even happens so um but i liked the at the beginning of the trailer with um aunt may um already knowing like so now she knows he's spider-man so I just like that that interplay and whatnot, which is something that I liked about Man of Steel, which is like Lois Lane already knows who fucking Superman is. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. uh and then. Uh, it's, it's hard to like. 
make a movie that like disguises a superhero's identity in the age of social media you know that's that's something that i've been thinking about recently like there's cameras everywhere it's hard to like hide yeah which which kind of stinks in a certain degree because like i mean like one of the things that's great about batman is like he does have to put on that dual personality and like batman i think is the only current hero that you can possibly do within that scheme but even that's kind of wearing thin in terms of at least how they've dealt with it on well if batman keeps trotting out like super advanced like high-tech machinery like (laughs) people are gonna notice the smart people are gonna like wonder where he gets funded from and yeah yeah so like i don't know we'll see i mean like you you grounded enough i guess it's like i mean nolan did it correctly um i mean like did he did he do it the best that's your opinion but he did it really well. Um, I guess the notable thing about Far From Home is we get to see Mysterio, and yeah. he's full-on comic <laughs> You might want to stay out. out of this. <laughs> what? He's like, his line oh, yeah. where he's like, you might want to stay out of this. And just... I'm not fooled at all. Like I, This is clearly a story where Mysterio's pretending to be a heroic guy uh, to foil Spider-Man, and yeah. he's like, manufacturing situations for that. So Also, John Favreau hitting on Marissa Tomei is adorable. And I want that spinoff movie. Everybody wants a romantic comedy. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, you know. I, I mean, I want you know, I want Sam Jackson and that cat to go on adventures from Captain Marvel, and I want the Happy Hogan Aunt May romance story. When Happy Met Sally. <laughs> when Happy Met Sally. Or Aunt May. Sorry. <laughs> when Happy Met May. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, it it looks fun. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Also, within the caveat that Endgame's going to change the game. I didn't like that line. Um, so yeah, do I need to take over? No, we're good. <laughs> I can, I can Don't handle knock it. it off. I'll handle this like a man. Standpoint. <laughs> so we got another trailer this week. Yeah. Um. This is gonna be another Ghostbusters, and the the story behind it's interesting. So the trailer in that's that's being discussed here it's not really a trailer it's more like a pitch video for it's a uh, teaser. kickstarter <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna call it what it is it's a pitch video for kickstarter um they're not gonna kickstart fun that no no but like that's the that's like the like look they're testing the, they're testing the water here but that doesn't make sense because clearly uh with the last movie everyone voiced their opinion on what it should be um so i don't think they needed it you know, figure out who wants this movie. Yeah. I mean, like, clearly we we unfortunately know who wants what out of Ghostbusters. Um, but, you know, I will say this, though. Jason Reitman coming on board, while it does seem like a big old pot of nepotism, I'm not opposed to it. Uh, he clearly has passion for that product since he was a kid. Um, I mean, like, I don't take the line, I was the first Ghostbusters fan, like, with too much salt, but... I do like the fact that it is him genuinely seeming to care as it stands in all the press quotes he's given. Um, So what I guess now needs to be unveiled at some point is like, so how involved is Aykroyd, um, Hudson and Murray? Because like, obviously we're not going to dig up Harold Ramis from the grave uh, that I know of. Um, Do you bring Moranis back? like find a way to coax him out with like $30 million. <laughs> um, and like the bigger thing is like, okay, so it's got to be like a, it's either going to be like, they say it's a sequel to the second one or a yeah. follow up immediately to the second one. So not immediate. It's, it's set in that universe, but, but so like, so then the question is, is like, okay, like 
what are you going to address? What are you not going to address? And the one thing we know they're not going to address is the reboot, which I like the reboot. Yeah. I liked Hands of the Call. <laughs> I thought it was a fun movie. Um, and Leslie Jones has certainly voiced her opinion <laughs> on uh, the, the matter uh, as of today. Um, yeah, I'm so sick of like people treating movies like the Highlander, like there can only be one. Yeah, like, no, I mean, there's plenty of space in the universe for varying goes, but like movies aren't precious. I'm so sick of this shit. Right, and then, well, yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, they're, they're like they're important in some in some places, but like they, you know, I mean, they're important to us. Would but you for... rather like the first Ghostbusters only ever existed in 1984, and that was it? Like they created such a rich universe, like you know, it deserves to have like a trial and error, like. Like there's comic books that have yeah. been successful with IDW that have like expanded the animated those. series, the animated series, like you know the real Ghostbusters. Even if you you know it doesn't meet your expectations, like doesn't mean there's not room for it like on the shelf. It's well, and I feel about this whole situation the same way I feel about Star Wars, which I'm just like I'm gonna use it for Ghostbusters though. It's a movie about comedians fighting fighting ghosts. Yeah, I, there are bigger things that happen outside of the movie world. That people need to like get a grip on. Yeah, unless for some reason like Sony decides like, yeah, we're gonna like erase the first Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters from existence. Like, you don't have to worry; it's always gonna be around for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's 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 one like it it's you know like if Ted Turner in the '80s is saying I'm gonna colorize Casablanca, well, that is a technically an issue because that is tampering with the actual thing. But did he delete like the original black and white? No, no. he did. No, he didn't. But yeah. there, that that is like a an example of where you can insert your opinion like that. But like in terms of getting angry over sequels and stuff like that, I don't know. Like I don't see the point in anger. Getting angry about it. And also like if Ivan yeah, Reitman, energy. if Ivan Reitman's not interested in continuing the story on his own terms and whatnot, then it is up to Aykroyd and it is up to right. Jason Reitman or it is up to uh, Paul Feig. It's whoever's holding those reins. Like if you really don't like what they're doing, you don't have to watch. You can go write your own fan fiction it's fine. You know, that's, yeah, that's certainly a space where people have been able to do things like that. Artistic um, merit is like the least important thing to Sony. Like it's product. Yeah, unfortunately, d- read a book called the big picture, which just came out la- like mid last year. It explains the whole rise and fall and rise and fall of Sony from the, including the hack. These guys have like been struggling for so long. Like they're grasping at straws. And, like, Venom was a big grasp at a straw, and it paid off. But my question is, how long will that continue to pay off for them? Because I don't know how well a Venom 2 will do. Um, But Ghostbusters, in terms of this, like, I feel like that they're trying to keep that property alive. Um, As as they should. And you know what? If you want to make everyone happy, the team doesn't have to be all girls or all guys. You could blend both. Yeah. Um, well, and the, actually, it, the potential plot details... You know what you're not going to get? Three old dudes fighting ghosts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Sorry, guys. You're not going to get... that. That's not the movie you're going to get. Yeah, that's that's highly unlikely to be a great movie. And honestly, I don't think you'll want that. Especially considering the film we're going to talk about today. Don't know if you want that. Don't know if you do. Let's, we'll, we'll find out if you do. Yeah. So, um, teaser's but, interesting... Uh, the potential plot detail, though, is that like it's gonna be two girls and two two girls and two guys, or like two boys and two girls, or whatever, is one of the things I read. So I thought you were gonna say like my guess is uh, Oscar from Ghostbusters Two is grown up, and he has to take the reins and form his own team. 
Uh, no, I didn't see that one. But, yeah. I mean, it's possible. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think anyone said, like, a specific plot thing, so that would be my guess. No, there was just, like, loose, obvious it's just loose story. things out in the ether. But anyway, um, who are you going to call them Ghostbusters? Just move on, dude. Just move um, on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, Netflix could be losing 20% of its um, film library starting this year. So looks like they're really making the push into their original content zone. And Yeah, I um, mean, my menu is all, like, Netflix originals. It's pretty frustrating. I've still got a lot of, like, like if I if you look in the right category and stuff like that. Like the, yeah, if you dig deep, main... you can find them. But, like, most advertisements and most, like, feeds that... You know, as soon as I turn it on, it's like Netflix this, Netflix that, original, original, original. And Which, it's like, if they yep. were making too much crappy content, I'd say that's a problem. But no, they, they have a lot of great stuff. stuff. But I'm just like, I did sign on the service to rent the movies that I missed in the theater. You know, right. so that's kind of a bummer. Um, I think Prime does a better job with balancing its stuff because it's not necessarily shoving every Prime thing down your throat. Yeah, like in its top movies, yes, they'll have theirs, but they'll also have like whatever like main i big movie they could get their hands on that month. Like like Raiders of the Lost Ark, all the indie movies were like big prominent features on there for a while. Yeah, um, my only gripe with Prime is that if you watch something and then say you fall asleep to it, it just disappears from your menu, and then you have to like actually look up the title and find it and like add it back to the menu that's the only thing is you know mm. I, I hate having to track that down well usually i can't remember what i even watched the night before but well and with we and we've got uh you know disney's got its stuff coming in uh in late this year and warner media's trying to figure out their shit so you know everybody's gonna stake their own claim and we'll see how it goes from there uh uh two more stories um Green Book won the PGA and the Oscars will be uh, nominations will be announced on Tuesday. Um with that though, the Oscars have said they're going hostless and I guess there was a big controversy where SAG and AFTRA act, SAG AFTRA actors were being bullied into being only exclusive presenters to the Oscars and not to any other awards ceremony. So basically, if you were going to present at SAG at the SAG Awards, um, you would not be eligible to uh, present at the Oscars and vice versa. The interesting part of this story is that, look, I like the Academy Awards for personal like memory reasons, but I will agree with you to the end of time that they are kind of like out of touch, irrelevant, whatever you want to call it. Like the, the awards don't matter, you know, stuff like that. They matter to the people involved in the awards. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're an industry insider and you work within that business then yes like yeah. you deserve to have a stake in it yeah but people who are critiquing it and decide you know, like have an opinion on it mm. like your opinion doesn't matter because you are not involved so yeah no exactly you, i you you're privileged to be able to watch it yeah exactly and that's why i don't usually gripe about like i don't care who's hosting it like i mean like this year maybe i had an opinion about it but i won't go into it there the bottom line is is that it's still an award show it's a fun goofy award show where you know, rich people award other rich people. No, nothing wrong with that, I guess. But the issue at hand here is that the Academy is literally grasping at its own straws, trying to figure out how to stay relevant. Because if they're really concerned about having an exclusive uh, grasp on an actor to be on their stage as opposed to any other stage, 
that means that they're still trying to figure out how to stay relevant. Like clearly the stuff that's been happening the past three years with the many controversies they've had, they still don't know how to fit into the current time. Yeah. And what I find fascinating about that is at the end of the day, like they, they seem to not be reading the room as well as they ever have. Like this seems to be the worst way they've read the room in years because I don't, think anybody's tuning in for the Oscars just to watch one actor present an award yeah. like that. That's not the reason they're tuning in They're They have a loyal fan base that will tune in regardless of what goes on. Um, I turn tune in to watch the results and now I can just read them. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I, in an I article the next day, I like watching the speeches. I like watching unexpected moments. I enjoy the production numbers. I enjoy the pageantry like whatever, for whatever it's worth. And I'm curious to see how the hostless one will go because the last time it went hostless, it went fucking wrong. Um, if you have you seen the Rob Ho, the Rob Lowe clip? What year was this? This is I I think it's like eighty or eighty one, but Rob Lowe is singing to fucking Snow White or something, and it's it's weird. You just you I look think it I up. Saw that. Yeah, you yeah. have to look it up if you haven't seen it. But um, anyway, uh, the bottom line though is is that it's interesting to see that these guys like not having a host trying to make actors exclusive like they are the most vulnerable they've ever been in the past like 10 15 years and i'm just interested to see where this goes for the next month so i'm not going to make a continued oscar watch on the show here but i had to bring it up because it's like who does that like i mean like the the whole reason the academy awards was created in the first place was to avoid was to avoid the creation of unions and now they're like budging in on union affairs again like it's a it's a whole crazy confluence of events that i just find utterly fascinating hmm. so and if you you the listener find it fascinating too come join my bitch session with me zach's <laughs> new podcast this is bitch session <laughs> <laughs> hashtag woke <laughs> um and the last piece of news which is super fun it's the, not necessarily the subject that's the, that's the bitch it might <laughs> no, yeah, be the yeah. host it, no, I'm the bitch. <laughs> These are my sessions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last piece of news that I thought is awesome. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries is getting rebooted uh, to Netflix. Um, they haven't said anything about a host yet. I hope they just do what they did to Peter Cushing and re bring back Robert Stack. <laughs> yeah. All they need is a theme song. That's the most important part. And then the first episode with... Re with Scary theme song. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, actually... Uh, the producer of Stranger Things is the one who's bringing it back, so I hope they keep that or maybe even do a fun little remix of the theme. Uh, if they do CGI Robert Stack and whatnot, the first episode should be, can you guess the mystery of how I'm still here? <laughs> <laughs> um, not a lot of info on it yet, but like, I, mean, I love that Unsolved Mysteries. Now it's on Prime, and I like watching the reruns because like, I didn't watch a shit ton of it when I was a kid, but like, I liked watching it now just because it's like, it's like fun fodder in the background. So um, that'll be interesting to see how that uh, is received. And that's news. Cool. Now we'll uh, kick into some Blu-rays and 4Ks and beta tapes. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Um, well, uh, if you're uh, a fan of First Man, you can pick that up on 4K Blu-ray. And I will. Yep, I liked it. I a little liked disappointed it a there's no steelbook for that in America, but... 
There's no steelbook for some of the best films of last year, so. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess. It, it seems like Best Buy at least has one for every new release now, but yeah. Most of them. Like, I mean, I thought Black Klansman might have had a like a steelbook thing going for it, but it didn't do that. Yeah. The Bumblebee one looks sweet. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. And Little Mermaid's getting one. Yeah. Little Mermaid. Um, I, I, I mean, like, I just got the Halloween one and it looks pretty cool. I still don't know. How, I like the artwork, but I don't like the font of the of the title like yeah. it looks weird to me um but i'm gonna pick up a regular 4k copy anyway um arrow is putting out Waterworld, which i've uh only seen once and i'd be interested in watching it again uh screen factory is putting out 10 to midnight with charles bronson uh so you can pick that up um and we're also getting it says here the collector edition of cobra uh sylvester yeah. stallone's cobra uh which is a fun film uh, we talked a lot about it in my action film class when I was at film school. I'm interested to see what the bonus features are going to be on that one. Mm, I I, it, I didn't look them up, but yeah, me neither. Yeah, uh, Criterion's putting out four months, three weeks, and two days um, on Blu-ray. Uh, I saw that in a film expression class. That was really good. Um, we're getting Dirty Rotten Scoundrels on Shout Selects, which is a great movie. Um, see the eighty eighty eight. Or 87 film explosion for that. I can't remember the year right now. <laughs> but it was on one of those. Uh, Twilight Time is putting out Beat the Devil, um, which is a Humphrey Bogart movie. You can check that out. Uh, 4K of The Hate You Give, um, also on Blu-ray, uh, which I did not see. Uh, I heard it was really good. Um, Best Friends. Uh, Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero's epic two-part adventure is getting a Blu-ray release of both films. Yep, I have that one coming. Is it going to be like double disc or anything? Did it have any details? Or? Uh, both movies are in the same release, so oh, okay. I don't know if they're on separate discs or like it's cut all together as one movie. So ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and um, that's about it in terms of the. I think it's probably on separate discs because at the at the screening, Greg Sestero said that like he purposely split it up because and it's it's true like the dynamic of uh, the story is quite different between the two characters that appear in both parts. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's better that they're kept separate. Okay. Well, so, I'm, I'm interested. I'm to guessing see it's it. two discs that, you know, with each with the movie on it. All right. On. Well, I'm excited to see it. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Three more ones. Uh, the 4k of how to train your dragon one is coming out. So that'll be cool. Yeah. Just Drew Struzan, um, famous poster artist, uh, recently did much of how to train your dragon poster art. Um, so that I'm guessing they might end up on a steelbook release Ooh, in the future. That'd be neat. Uh, Warner Archives is putting out the giant behemoth, which is a little, uh, monster movie. Um, looks like dinosaurs in this case, um, or a lizard dinosaur. And then lastly, Johnny English strikes again in Blu-ray. So if you couldn't get enough Johnny English in your life, you were in luck. Yep. Finish the trilogy. <laughs> um, not Hashtag for next, unite the seven. <laughs> not for next week, but I think uh, if, I think it's April's Criterion. Uh, they announced a bunch of releases, and two of them are uh, Jackie Chan's Police Story One and Two, which I was like really excited about. I know that's that's uh, I never would have never would have crossed my mind that those would be. Uh, but they're I, I agree that they they're worthy of the Criterion. Yeah, they're valuable. They're valuable pieces of of chance filmography yeah and just cinema in general like they're great action movies so Mm -hmm. agreed um they're really not really known for putting action movies 
in their collection other than like Armageddon and The Rock. Or artsy art, artsy action movies are the closest they usually get. But I think they're really trying to expand their label a little bit more. Yeah. Because I think the only other place Police Story would have fit in my mind would have been Shout. Yeah. Or maybe Twilight Time. Nah, no. Criterion seems the right place to do this, though, because, like, Jackie Chan's, like... It's amazing when you think about it. His filmography's fucking expansive. Like, he's been in so many fucking things that we haven't even seen in this country. Yeah. Um. Like, I mean, like, in some stuff that I really want to see that I just haven't, like, sat down to see, but... You know, like he's he's had a quite a career. He was honored at the Oscars two years ago for the honorary thing, and like you watch the Governor's Ball clip and whatnot, and they go through shit, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if they expand any further on his uh, oeuvre, because mm-hmm. I, I I would love to have like a Rumble in the Bronx Criterion. Um, I would I would say Shout would grab for grab for that before. Yeah, it might be else. too mainstream, but you know we'll see. Maybe not so. Um, you know, like it. Well, I mean, like Criterion actually might do it though, because like Rumble in the Bronx is New Line, or is it Warner's or something like that? I think you know? it's New Line. So they might actually Criterion might actually grab at it because they've got a better deal with Warner Brothers than any of the other studios do with these guys. So. Yeah. But anyway, that's Blu-rays. All right, Brad, what have you been watching this week? So uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Uh, not a lot, but also a lot. Um, I'll start with uh, probably the biggest thing. No, I'll save that for last. The the a lot that I've seen, but there's not a lot to talk about. Is um, I discovered the Rift Tracks archive on Prime. Yeah, you so did. I'm, I'm watching all these movies with the uh, the Rift Tracks embedded mm-hmm. in 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 the in the movie, and um, you know that I uh, the collection is quite large on Prime. Uh, so you know I've watched. Uh, Birdemic, Shock and Terror. Did you watch the live one or did you watch the? Uh... Well, the, it alternates depending on what you get because, like, stuff like we saw. What was it? Um. Oh. Um. Did we see hands? Of, no, we saw the thirtieth anniversary one. Yeah, there's like the yeah the thirtieth anniversary specials on there. I didn't like rewatch that, but like, um, you know, they have a bunch of like movies you've never heard of that they're riffing. <laughs> Ghost uh, House is a fun one. <laughs> yeah. Um. Like Grizzly. Uh, but then there's also like pretty high profile ones like Birdemic. Uh, Samurai Cop is on there. Yeah. Um, oh God, what's the other like Miami Connection? Used... Miami Connection is on there. Yeah. I watched that. Uh, so like those expected, uh, um, like cult classics are on there. Um, and I'm the thing I I wasn't used to like growing up with Mystery Science Theater is like a lot of times they edit like the naughty content out of the movies, both riff tracks. Oh, you get everything. They, they leave <laughs> Mostly a, everything. Like Samurai Cop was a little edited. Um, I, I think they took a few of the sex scenes out. Right. But they left like some of the like the nudity in some places. So like, and then you know their jokes are a little raunchier, uh, which is fun. Yeah, um, they're allowed to be a little bit more. Yeah, they swear more and they they make like yeah uh, yeah like dirtier jokes. I think that and that's like I don't think Mike Nelson's ever felt like he was held back in MST3K, but like you can tell he clearly has fun doing it this way. Yeah. If you listen to a commentary track that they do for like a mainstream film, like any of the Harry Potters or the Transformers, they'll go into places you've never like gone before. But the Twilight Breaking Dawn Part Two one has one of the best ones. It's still bleeped, but it's raunch. It's a it's dirty as all heck. When Kevin Murphy gets super pissed at the flashback being a fake out. 
Um, and he just goes like, what the fuck? We sat through five of these motherfuckers. And like, but it's all bleep bleep and it's just super hilarious. So, uh, there's not any like real, like mainstream movies in on the list. So probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. So I I won't get to see it. But, um, uh, the most notable one though is, uh, cause Ryan watched a couple weeks ago and talked about it was, um, what's his name? It's silent rage with, uh, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. Yeah. Um, is on there. And, um, yeah, that, uh, I don't remember Ryan talking about there's like reanimated people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is a, uh, not good movie. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Chuck Norris. There's some scientist people trying to reanimate the serial killer and he keeps coming back and it's so long, <laughs> um, but it's, it's made all more fun cause Rift Tracks is making fun of it. Nice. Um, Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so Rift Track stuff, uh, um, there, there's so many of them, so I'm you just, need, I'm just if they burning don't, through them. If they don't have this one, try to see if you can find it elsewhere. Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. That's on there. The, watch it. Yeah. That's The last one I watched was Plan 9 from Outer Space. and That's a fun one. Yeah, I've, se- I've seen the non-Rift Tracks version. So. That still has, um, if you watch the live one, it has uh, uh, Jonathan Colton uh, doing live performances. And it has uh, a, one of my favorite Rift Tracks lines, which is a guy getting out of a plane, and he goes, hi, I'm Bob Executive. Which way is business? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I remember that. That was a good joke. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's the high-profile ones that are like the live shows, and then yeah. you know, the, the lesser-known movies are just them. You just hear their voices, and you never see anything. Uh, and then the main thing I watched um, that is still kind of baffling is I watched Welcome to Marwen. Oh. Um. Which is a technically impressive film, like the CGI. I'm of, sure it is. Like, you know, Zemeckis in the past has gotten a lot of flack for the, the CGI in his movies being like soulless in the eyes. Um, I didn't get that with this one. Um, Probably because it's intentional. <laughs> Ish. They're dolls, so. No, I I didn't get that. Like they oh. they seem like humans that are just deformed mm. uh, physically. But oh, okay. like when I look into all the characters' eyes, like I believe like the real actors there. Oh, okay. Um, so that's improved, but it's it's certainly still a weird movie. Um, and, you know, as sympathetic as we are to the character who's, uh, you know, the story of it is, um, uh, shoot, I forget his name. Um, Steve Carell. Steve Carell's character um, is a real-life person who has, like, enjoys where, enjoyed wearing women's shoes and um he went to the bar a lot and made a joke about how much he enjoys it and some neo-nazis kicked his ass for it uh they almost killed him Mm -hmm. and the experience uh left him with ptsd about it and they get caught and tried it found guilty and uh all his friends want him to testify about it so they get the maximum sentence Uh uh-huh uh but his ps PTSD won't allow, like, won't let him do it. And part of uh, the psychological damage of, like, he used to be an artist, and his brain damage took away his ability to draw. So he has filled that gap by taking photos of dolls, um, not necessarily Barbie dolls, but, like, war dolls um, in his backyard. And he's built this town called Marwen, Mm -hmm. which is a fusion of, I think his name, character's name is Mark, and the woman who found him on the ground after he was assaulted was named Wendy. Uh, 
so it, it's the town of Marwen, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's just a collection of like everything that helps him feel good about himself, right? Um, and so he slips into like, uh, like dream states of like imagining, you know, the... Zemeckis like portrays like these sequences like they're really imaginative and creative, like of the dolls actually, you know, moving and existing based on what he's thinking and feeling right um and there's one doll which i forget the full name but the first name is deja which is clearly an allusion to deja vu of you know feeling like like it's the doll is basically a metaphor for the monkey on his back right and she constantly holds him back from doing what he needs to do to get over this right um and this is what the movie's not terrible but this is the part that made it sort of amazing for me is deja commissions him to build her a time machine. This is Robert Zemeckis who directed the Back to the Future trilogy. She commissions him to build the time machine and at first, you know, a couple scenes later he finishes it and it's like, oh, that's funny. Like he made a, like a really shitty looking DeLorean uh-huh. out of cardboard and plastic and stuff. Right. Like, and you think that would be the end of the joke. Right. But the finale of the movie goes into like full on CGI like uh, you know, Mark's version of himself as a doll is much more heroic than he is in real life. Right. And so... It's projecting the, the projecting something more heroic into his situation to cover up his insecurity and yeah. his frustration and um, fear. So the finale is, like, he flies around in this in a DeLorean time machine. Like, it's not even, like, just a knockoff time machine. It's the DeLorean right. that's, like, slightly junky looking. Um and they have to like go back in time to fix his problem. Um, and the uh. dolls are you know, having this action sequence, and the DeLorean's flying around. And then at one point, like it takes off, and the fire trails are left behind. And wow, um, I think uh, no, I'm pretty sure Alan Silvestri scored Marwen, so he's able to take cues from Back to the Future into the finale. Um, I'm just like, wow, like mm. what a like ballsy move to do, like with this you know, person's real life and then inject your, your, your own cinematic history into it. Um, I wouldn't say it's like offensive, but it's just like, so like, I did not see that coming and no one talked about it. Like I wasn't prepared for it, but I was like, so delighted a little bit to see like, <laughs> right. Uh, more back to the future on screen, but which and it sounds delightful. I mean, and I don't, don't want to, you know, badger your, or bat down your, your enthusiasm for it. Just the whole idea of, using time travel to fix an issue that has caused great pain in your life is, you know, it's a tricky... Well, he doesn't. It's just, like, the framing of the story. Like, oh, okay. What his imagination is going to. It's just, it's, it's just a aesthetic that, aesthetically that it's a time travel sequence that it's, involves the DeLorean. So it's a notion. It's not, like, a whole plot point. Like, yeah, he's not actually going back in time all right. or, or, like, reflecting on too much in the past. He's just, like... Um, Again, it's been a week, and I didn't like. It's not something I thought about a lot. <laughs> uh, story-wise, the thing that stood out for me most that I didn't like was that um, Steve Carell's character um, is a little shallow um, in his attraction to women. Like he he easily falls for beautiful women, um, <laughs> and I forget how he describes it, but he uh, <coughs> he's more attracted to the essence of women. Uh, and that's why he likes the women's shoes, that's what he says. Um, but uh, Leslie Mann like moves it next door to him, and there's this other girl that works at the the doll shop, 
that is clearly like a better fit for him. Um, and he kind of ignores her and tries to like get out of hanging with her, even though he she does all these nice things for him. Um, and then he f- eventually finds out that Leslie Mann is like, even though she doesn't find the doll thing like as a turnoff, um, she's still just not prepared for his level of uh, mental anguish. Right. Um, so that it's just awkward how much he pines for her, even though there's no real reason for them to be to be together. Right, more than friends. No, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really awkward when you know she has to turn him down. It's it's like a it's a weird lack of growth. Yeah, we, like within that now, like the thing that's like every every review that I've read for the film felt wrong. Like I was like everything I was reading about it, going like, uh, Zemeckis, what you do? <laughs> but like, but having not seen the film, I'm not going to make a harsh judgment on it. I will say though that that documentary has a lot of big fans and the thing that they were frustrated by is how much they changed not only of the story, but also how the themes that they chose to explore are the least important compared to what they could have explored. And I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know the whole grandeur of it. Cause I've neither seen the documentary nor the, um, uh, the movie in question. Yeah. So but but I think, I think there's, it's been in- fascinating to see the flashback though. I think it's there's room in the world for, like you can make movies inspired by ideas from other things like right. this um like like this guy this guy has a documentary his, his life is covered right on film like you can you can inspi- still do it oh yeah yeah I, I mean I love- is clearly inspired by you know like hey th- here's a little nugget of something and I'm like I have this weird creative Im- impulse to put like my, my back to the future stuff into this guy's story and like and we're gonna polar you know, express technology <laughs> you know yeah we have we have cgi like what if you could actually see the dolls like move like dolls and you know make it the most elaborate toy sequence that your your childhood brain could ever imagine right um and uh, there's actually a cool thing that when uh, like the nazi dolls get killed well a- any dolls really like instead of just like flopping over they freeze back into like their <laughs> non imaginative prone state. Right. Um, so that's, that's pretty like creative. I thought so. Nice. Uh, Marwen's, I think it's definitely worth a watch. Like it's kind of a mistake to treat this as like possibly, uh, some kind of like, like it is, it was definitely more of like an indie film that should have been like on the indie circuit, uh, and not like out competing with Aquaman and, Bumblebee and right. um, whatever else was big that over the holidays, like it was, it was definitely something that should have had like a limited release because it's really just like some Mechus indulging himself um, and like trying things. Maybe even a dead month, like September. Yeah, January, February, and like and and you know you're talking to a guy who really liked The Walk, and I and I know that Man on Wire is technically better, but I really like The Walk. I put it in my top ten for that year, um, mainly because I hadn't seen a lot of movies that year. Um, but, you know, like, I'm not opposed to Zemeckis doing his whole let me adapt documentary thing. But reading the stuff on it, I'm curious to watch Marwin Call and then Welcome to Marwin and kind of have my own opinion about it eventually. Yeah. Well, cool. Is that all you watch? Yep. Oh, right on. Um, literally not that much for me. Um, I've been indulging in Next Gen. Um, I got through the entire first season this week, and that was rough. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that I, it, it was so 
because when I first watched it, and I, and I prefaced this last week by saying like I was either drunk or stoned when I was watching Next Gen the whole way through the first time, that like watching it now, I'm like, oh, the sheen, whatever sheen I thought I had on this is gone, <laughs> um, and I'm now seeing the cracks and everything. Whereas with TOS, I'm kind of a little bit more forgiving of everything because it's like a childhood thing. I didn't grow up with Next Gen. Like I found Next Gen after high school and stuff. So, but like. Th- the Denise Crosby, Tasha Yar getting killed is like, you know, it, it sucks. And it's, it's, I will say though, like, even though her death sucks and even though I kind of like the, 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 the formation of the episode, like that tar monster is ridiculous, but I like the idea of that tar monster. Um, and like even kind of like a little bit of the effect of it kind of coming out of the, the bottom, but then you can see, when when the tar monster envelops the sh- the shuttle craft that um, Troy is stuck in, it literally looks like um, when they drew Batman in for that one shot in Batman eighty nine where he turns to the cape and walks away. Like you can tell it's animation. It's and not great. Um, I just realized tar versus yar. Tar versus yar. That should have been the name of the episode. Um, Heart to glory though, still a great episode um, with Worf. Um, War finally being explored in a in a season so far that has chosen not to use him at all. Um and uh I like Data Lore again. Um you know, again, these are like you know, like they're getting a footing of some kind. And like so and I watched started watching season two. Oh wait, season one though, the final episode. I really liked the idea of the Romulan conflict and stuff like that. But that fucking those cryogenic tubes were dumb. And having these three distinctive 80s personalities on the ship bothered me. Um, other than the woman who clearly lost her family, but then there's the stockbroker who is so obsessed with getting to his lawyers into his bank only to not get the hint that that's not how the world works in the 23rd century. And the country singer who really forms a fun relationship with Data and... I mean, it may be a while since you've seen this, but I shit you not, if after after some of his conversations, the score for this show goes into a guitar twang, and it is hilarious, and I rolled my eyes so much throughout that episode. Um, the one before it, Conspiracy, though, is awesome, and I dug watching it. And I was surprised by, in Conspiracy, at the very end when they confront Remick, uh, as the guy who had the brain slugs in him the entire time, that effect of the uh, brain bug or whatever, the body bug shooting out is just as violent looking and grotesque as anything in John Carpenter's The Thing. And that's on network television. I know it's syndicated, but that still seems like, wow, they let that on television? That seems rough. Um, and then season two, the whole Troy being pregnant for a day. <laughs> Um, was interesting. Um, I liked the one where they went into the void where there's nothing really going on. Uh, but the effect of the, what's in the void, which is, looks like this cheap nineties or or late eighties, early nineties CGI effects, like the first Pixar film, it looked weird. Um, but my two favorite episodes to watch thus far though, were the ones I still liked all these years later, which is the Dixon Hill episode with um, uh, Picard playing his favorite character from uh, literature uh, literature and uh, elementary, my dear data. 
which is <laughs> Moriarty wanting to get out of the holodeck, <laughs> um, which it's actually unlike Holmes and Watson. That's a good Sherlock Holmes mystery, kind of. But then it turns into a Star Trek episode, which is fun, and I dig it. Um, I uh, I actually just like I, I thought about this the same way that I thought about it when I first saw it, which is. Can we do like an animated show where Data and Jordy are just like playing Holmes and Watson and like I just like the whole Victoria setting, but they still look like how they do like it just would have been fun. Um, but remembering that the first season is shaky uh, compelled me to watch a little documentary by William Shatner called Chaos on the Bridge, which is on Prime, um, which is honestly just like a one hour sci fi special because <laughs> it's got like a bunch of different like silly visuals to keep the audience interested but it's basically about gene roddenberry getting involved in the creation of next gen and how his involvement in the first couple of seasons combined with a lot of other things in paramount's realm on why those first couple of seasons are shaky and you know i like roddenberry's humanist point of view on everything but i agree it does nothing to help the show um yeah, it, there's, there's no conflict in those first couple of in the first season. There's very little conflict. Yeah, very little. Hard to write for that. Like, yeah, if you're trying to like 24 episodes a season. Yeah, it's like everything's perfect. Like, well, clearly there's not unless you've got Q in the room, and then that seems to fit your idea somehow. Yeah, well, I think uh, his mandate isn't like there's no conflict. It's that it's that, <laughs> that the people in Starfleet are solid. Like, there's no there's no conflict there. Yeah, like they're all. Uh, what's like altruistic? Um, like good people. Like no one's, no one's duplicitous. No one's seedy. Nothing. Yeah, like everyone has the same common goal, and they all work together. Like yeah, and... which is why conspiracy is such a great episode, is because it finally breaks that notion. Because like, you know, like Starfleet's pretty altruistic in the TOS and even the movies for the most part. Yeah, but it's always an outside force, like the Klingons, or the Romulans, or some new entity. Like it's always. Yeah. Thrust upon our good characters. Right. And conspiracy is kind of the same thing, but like it still does it pretty well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm going to keep going. I, I still like rewatching it. Speaking of Shatner, uh, Starfest announced that he's coming to Starfest this year. So oh my God. he's the big, he's the big get. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go make some arrangements, guys. Yeah. I, it's not that I necessarily want to meet him. I just, I just want to look at him. <laughs> Does that sound creepy? It probably is. Yeah, yeah. Um, just imagine you—he's st- at his booth signing, you know, autographs, and you're just kind of you know, slightly off to the side, <laughs> just looking at him. You know what? I'll get in line for an autograph, and I'll say, "Mr. Shatner, I don't want an autograph. I don't want a photo." I'm gonna pull out a microphone. And I'll be like, "I want to do what?" If you get him to speak on mic, you need to say, you need to have him do, this is William Shatner, and you're listening to Realtor's podcast. <laughs> now get a life. <laughs> <laughs> get a life. Um, in all seriousness, though, it'd be fun to meet him and get a photo, because, like, you know, I realized this when Nimoy died, but, like, I was devastated when Nimoy died, because I loved Star Trek TOS from middle school onward. Shatner dies, I'm going to feel the same fucking wreck. Or if Koenig dies and Decay dies or Nichelle Nichols dies, like... I'm going to feel like a fucking wreck. So, you know, anyway. That's why I went to see him last year. I know. I don't have much time left. I know. Well, now now I have an opportunity. Yep. Um, also, I have an idea for the con for cosplay. I'm going to go as Jonathan Frakes. 
in his uh, in his Riker uniform, but I'm also going to have a director's beret and a scarf and a uh, a monocle, and I'm going to go as director Riker. <laughs> Are you going to wear the next gen uniform or the movie next gen uniform? Movie next gen. I think I'd go for that. Um, but yeah, and then like uh, I'll carry around a slate that says Star Trek First Contact. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, that's that's all I watched this week. I really wish I'd watched more. <laughs> no, it's probably good. Yeah, it's fine. Keep it short. Yeah. All right. This week we saw M. Night Shyamalan's Glass. Brad, you saw this last week. I know. I, I wanted people... to watch it again before the show, but I didn't get around to it. Well, should so pe- it's not quite as fresh. Should people go see Glass? That's the wrong question to ask. Like, <laughs> I think everyone should see. Everyone should see the movie that they're interested in. Like, in, like, find out for yourself always. Look, movies um, are an enjoyable art form by multiple people. <laughs> um, no, I agree. You learn something from watching everything. Should, like, did I enjoy it? Which yeah, is the question. That's a good question. Did you enjoy Glass? Um, well, there's also the caveat of, like, my expectations of being, like, I love the Unbreakable universe, right? Um, and the screening I saw, like, I watched Unbreakable for the first time in a long time ahead of glass like f- four hours ahead of it right followed by split followed by glass so right away like fresh in my mind my expectations are raised because unbreakable is amazing it's like one of my favorite films of all time um and then splits good um but um it doesn't have the style uh because unbreakable has the universal budget and split has the blumhouse budget so like, well, well, Unbreakable has the Touchstone budget and the post Sixth Sense budget. <laughs> I guess it is Touchstone. What yeah, it was about? Touchstone. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Disney budget. And yeah. it's funny because there was also an interview with um, Shyamalan in in the screening where he's talking about you know um, how he's focused on making smaller movies um, and his his he was kind of into himself too much in the studio day like the big studio days. Um, so he's he's finding his way back to just making films that you know interest him yeah um and are just trying to make money um so anyway so my expectations are i feel like are a bit off like that's why i really wanted to see it again right like on its own uh because i found this to be really mediocre Mm -hmm. um and it's again like because the budget on this is so much less than unbreakable Mm -hmm. um and i'm barely comparing it to split but like split influences this movie too much to where it's like yeah it's cool to see james mcavoy act his ass off and he's good at it but it's like you know tying this into a universe i want to see more of david dunn and the most criminal thing is like this movie's called glass and mr glass is basically not a character until the finale of the movie right um you know unbreakable is about david dunn and his origin story split is about the beast origin story (laughs) I expected, you know, I know it's not, an, we're not going to go back in time because we already saw his origin in Unbreakable. But we can get I, in Steve Carell's DeLorean. <laughs> I felt like uh, Elijah's, you know, like more. I, th- I just thought it would be more focused on what, like, what drives Elijah and mm-hmm. dissecting that. Um, and it's not. It's it's awesome for the first ten minutes um, when you know David Dunn's the overseer and he's a vigilante and it's like everything. You know that was in our minds after Unbreakable ended and where it would go, and then it just takes a screeching halt. And um, I guess I'll wait till the main review to talk about that. But right. um, I, I just I think they could have done better. And the finale is just 
a total like just pissed me off so much. Okay. What do you think, Zach? Yeah. Um. I I want to preface this by saying something similar to what you're saying is not a crime if you hate this movie. <laughs> And it is fine to like M. Night Shyamalan. I like a lot of M. Night Shyamalan movies, Unbreakable being one of them. But I have not seen Unbreakable in a while. Um, the last Shyamalan movie I saw, other than Split, la- two years ago, would have probably been The Visit. And I thought that it was an interesting return for him. Glass, in my opinion, is the one of the most condescending movies I've seen in a long, long time that genuinely talks down to the audience and that frustrated me a lot um, in a way that I realized was because of how far we've come since Unbreakable in terms of the superhero genre. And in terms of this being a film, I think that Shyamalan, while working on his own terms, I think let his overconfidence get too much in the way again this time. Um, I will say I like certain ideas of the film and what they could have been and not what they became. Um, I think McAvoy is still really good in that role. Um, I think that uh, Samuel Jackson for how little he is given is still pretty good um, because I like that character a lot. Bruce Willis is doing his current Bruce Willis thing. Um, But like outside of that, there's very little to this film to enjoy in my opinion. And now We'll get into it in spoilers, but I think the big thing that this film doesn't accomplish in my mind is that it doesn't stay true to what Unbreakable was and becomes more of a combination of what Split was and a combination of what M. Night Shyamalan thinks a good superhero movie today is. So, uh, no, I don't think I would go see it, at least in theaters. If you want to watch it on Blu-ray, digital, whatever, that's your own business, but I don't recommend it. And I think, honestly, if you like Unbreakable, you should just leave it at that. You don't even need to watch. like Watch Split without the last reveal at the end, and then you'll be fine. It's its own thing, you know? Um, here's the trailer for Glass. Elijah has changed over the years. He's given up. We keep him heavily sedated. But there is a reason for that. He's too smart for them. You won't be lonely anymore. You have two new friends. The three of you think you have extraordinary gifts, like something out of a comic book. I've developed an effective treatment for this disorder. The light will force a different identity to take over. Por favor, senora. I want my headphones back. Step away from the controls now, little doctor. Can't beat the beast! So you're not going to shake my hand and let me walk out of here? (laughs) Good for you. What do you want? I am here to see if tales of the extraordinary being are true. May I meet the beast? I'm Mary Reynolds. I need your abilities to get us all out of here and show the world we exist. That sounds like the bad guys teaming up. 
believe you are an avenging angel, partner. I believe avenge us. I have to get out of here before he gets out. They are contained. They always underestimate the mastermind. It has begun, David. I've found someone who will require your full potential. You shouldn't be hiding in the shadows. You might want to try and stop us. A lot of people are going to die. Now, who'd like a PB and J sandwich? We are not meant to have this much power. Finally, all of us together for the world to see what we are capable of. You need to get out of here. What have you done, Elijah? Oh, finally. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Uh, apologies, but you know, there's this is. I'm only passionate about it because I, I yeah, I, I was so excited for this to finally happen, um, yeah. as well as many other people. And it's just now that we're in spoiler territory. Um, the thing that pissed me off the most was killing those characters at the end. Like, not even that, but the way they did it. If they had killed them in a grandiose fashion, that's not made hero- sense. heroic. Like, he- not even not just heroic, but just like flat out like it's murder. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I like the idea of there being, like, this secret organization that's, like, trying to stop the rise of superheroes in this realistic world. While still allowing Michael Myers to run around free. They fucking, like, these, this fucking thing pissed me off. And Ryan and I were actually texting about this, like, after he got out of the screening because the cult comes in. Like, you've lost your opportunity to introduce the cult at that point, in my opinion. Like, that that's that's some late reveal Halloween 5 bullshit. That like or Halloween six bullshit that I don't like, I don't I didn't buy, like I didn't like Sarah Paulson. I knew she was crooked from the get go, but then this happened, and I was like, well, that's a dumb reveal. Like I mean, like and and I know it's a universe builder, but it just upset me. Like I mean, I rolled my eyes and I felt like I felt like talked down to a little bit. Well, on top of being talked down to, like the finale is like it's it's. It's such an off thing to have the characters saying out loud in their own dialogue. Like, this thing that happens in comics is happening right now. And that's not like a quote from the movie, but that's a summation of a bunch of lines that That, are being repeated. That's the absolute 100% vibe of this movie. Which feels very childish. So, so I want to bring it back to Unbreakable for a second. Yeah, yeah. I want to bring it to Unbreakable for a second. So, Unbreakable comes right after Sixth Sense, obviously, and it's... It's a much more dramatic movie than you than you might think. Like, or at least that's how I remembered it. That's what's really cool about it is, is it, it treats it cin- seriously or not? Well, the cinematography alone is like very measured and like very like specifically crafted. It feels like everything is meticulously like nuanced. And that one scene where David Dunn's son gets a hold of his handgun and almost shoots him, trying to prove to him that he you know, is impervious to bullets. Yeah. Is an in- incredibly tense scene that's like done so well. Um, this movie doesn't have that. No, it type doesn't. of stuff in it. It's very lighthearted. Um, and it's, it's, it's so frustrating when it starts off really good. Cause the beast is abducting girls again. 
and the overseer, you know, is used like I didn't expect him to bring back his son as an adult. That's like basically his oracle. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, played by Jeff Anderson of Clerks fame. <laughs> Jefferson and look like not Jeff yeah, Anderson. yeah exactly. Um, Spencer Treat Clark, I think his name is. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, it's a cool idea to like his son is in on it. It's it's a shame that Robin Wright has died in the in the. 15 whatever she was years. busy killing kevin spacey on her netflix show <laughs> yeah so it's a cool dynamic and like yeah they tracked down the beast and like you know for i guess it was a 20 million dollar film so it's not a budget as low as i thought it was but but um, it's lower than unbreakable which is interesting absolutely but yeah that that fight sequence of like these two immovable objects uh going at it um and then yeah so you bring in you know that fight gets interrupted by the police and uh sarah paulson's character which at that point, I'm like, how did they even know they were there? But I guess she's part of the. I guess the cult being as like far-reaching as it is, I guess you know the Cape been Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, but then it goes to the asylum, and uh, you know, you finally get to see what Elijah's been up to, and he's been sedated this whole time, um, and you know, kind of supposedly out of his mind, like because he's on tons of drugs. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, if he's been on these drugs. Um, even if he wasn't on the drugs, how did he get out of the room without the key cards? Yeah. Did I miss that part? No. Well, you didn't miss anything because he didn't give you any of that. Yeah. They just say like, well, he's been getting out. This is one of those. This is one thing that I will give this, give the film on, on, on the Elijah character is my knowledge of Elijah from the first film carries over to this film just fine in terms of he is highly intelligent he would have found some way to do something the best shot of this movie for me is when you think he's had the surgery because there's this surgery where it's apparently supposed to fix a frontal lobe thing that cures you of thinking you're a superhero whatever it's fucking MacGuffin and um it's just an excuse to like give him give him a lobotomy yeah the lobotomy yeah and um, so, but there's this incredible one shot, like it, it's it's state it's static, it stands, it's still, um, you have an orderly entering the frame, I think to feed him, I can't remember, I think it's to feed him, and um, he notices that the pictures that Mr. Glass has above his wall, um, are kind of like crooked, crooked, and then suddenly you just see Samuel Jackson from a behind shot just quickly slit, slit this guy's throat and he just said it took forever to find the right piece and I, that was like that's that was a what badass fucking, moment that's what I fucking want out of this movie I thought that was gonna kick in at that point and then like and it should have kicked in like an hour yeah, ago yeah and then like and even like some of the stuff where he's rolling around with McAvoy I got interested in the movie again mm-hmm. but because they're teaming up but the problem like, is you every, see that he's got a plan going on yeah and then I'll even say like if this was just called Split 2, that would have probably made more sense because it's a pretty much split movie. It's yeah. it's a split movie that happens to have Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. They might as well have not been there. There's a good chunk of the movie runtime that is wasted on them in a therapy session together uh, oh. where we just retread, like Shyamalan tries to convince us, the audience, that, <laughs> that we've these never char- seen Unbreakable before. <laughs> no, that these characters are crazy. Which is oh, yeah. a mistake because we're not like we've already bought into the fact that they're like th- that they are superheroes, like they actually have real powers, and to sit there and tell us like like unless the final reveal of the movie is that they are in fact crazy, like then then, then this, that's then, these then scenes it's a waste, are useless. Then it's like, a waste of time. Yeah, not Cause only because you're, you're basically oh sorry, go ahead. Not only are they um fuck, I'm totally fucked up now. Um, sorry, what was I was gonna say. Um, 
well, they're retreading the first film. Yeah, like not only are they dis- like not only is he trying to like do the smoke and mirrors thing of like are they actually superheroes, but they're also like reminding us of things from the first movie, which I get you have to do a little of it because the people that the movie that people love the most is 15 years old at this point right. or 19. Um, but they <laughs> they do an, almost an hour's worth of like, hey, you know, remember remember this thread from this thing back then and what this means now and right. like oh my god just get to the part where elias slits the orderly's throat and we can just move on to the finale um yeah it's, it's so frustrating right and then and yeah and i didn't mean to interrupt but like what i was gonna say is is like i don't need you to remake the movie unbreakable in one dull scene in a pink room <laughs> yeah for 20-ish minutes it seems like this movie's fucking long by the way or it feels long yeah um the, the the first the first twenty to thirty minutes of the film I was somewhat invested, but here's another thing: Bruce Willis, I, I know he's been phoning it in, but this is this is beyond lazy. I don't know if it's his fault because like and I, I yeah that's I think the, David Dunn's story like what he gets to work with is garbage. Yeah, exactly. Like he he gets to start out awesome and then he gets relegated to like. You know, well, we just have to cut back to him in a cell because we, you know, like, we're tired of what James McAvoy is doing for a minute, and then he gets to die at the end. Right, and I'm not saying like and in, I, in a horribly unheroic way. Oh yeah, fucking. But like, so like, I'm not like shitting on Bruce Willis. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, his charisma and his charm is enough to watch the film. In this, though, my summation of what I feel like has been a disservice to him on hit on on Shyamalan's end. Is summed up in the scene in the security, uh, the the security, uh, the home security store that he runs, with M Night Shyamalan's cameo, and it's uh, Spencer Treat Clark, his son, and M Night Shyamalan talking at the uh, at the counter, and then uh, Bruce Willis enters the frame and goes, "I'm going to take a walk," and he says it to Spencer Treat Clark and yeah. M Night Shyamalan. I think he's talking to M Night Shyamalan, saying, "I'm going to walk off this movie now because <laughs> that was a fun. He, I'm scene getting that- nothing to do." <laughs> that was a fun like cameo acknowledgement that he's like um M. Night Shyamalan is basically two characters in this universe. Yeah. And he's it's a fun way to explain it away. Like that was really good. But I I also at the same time was just like, yeah, Bruce, I get it. I'd rather be doing something else too. <laughs> yeah. And then also Casey, like Oh yeah. It's so bizarre that she like her character would want to inv- like there was a part of me that was like in the trailers thinking that because She's a main character, but we haven't figured out that she has her own power yet. And she might, like, if you consider, like, compassion, like, a superpower. Right. Um, but there's, it feels so unnecessary that she's here to, like, try to save um, Kevin. Kevin Michael Crumb. Yeah. Um, it just Crumb. feels so, ham- like, forced uh, right. to include her. Well, and I, and I, I mean, like, like Kevin Michael Crumb killed her two friends. Yeah. No. Well. Yeah. I mean, but here's 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 what I would say on that is like, because I'm not going to defend the decision at all. I agree. It's it's kind of garbage. But I liked seeing that character again, and also her having like what is appearing to be some form of control over situation. But what I don't appreciate is like the, the split was about her facing like saying no to terror. Like that's like the I fight, guess, finding the strength to stand up to, to stand abuse. up, yeah, to abuse and to herself, for herself. And then the and then in this film, it's like fucking Stockholm syndrome, Beauty and the Beast weirdness. Where I'm like, yeah, what? Wait, 
what, now you like Kevin? I, I get it that you found a way to reach him, but... like Much like Mr. Glass unlocked David Dunn's power. Yeah, but, but that the doesn't The Beast mean... should have unlocked... Like, she should have had a power. Like, because the Beast is like wrath and rage, and David Dunn is like strength, and Mr. Glass's fragility, like healing and, and compassion should have been like her power. And Split makes it clear that she's like, there might be some power developing, but it's not there. Whether it's out of the trauma or whatever, but like she's still ill-defined in this movie. Yeah. So like I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not like not I'm, I'm not, not like I'm angry not, that she's there, but and I'm not saying she has to have like rays coming out of her hands to like visually show it. It's just like <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, a way, <laughs> there's a way to watch this movie where like she does have a power and no one's talking about it, right? Because she uh, by the end she does like make Kevin Michael Crumb feel good about, you know, because, spoiler, everyone dies. <laughs> yeah, everyone. Ev- all, all three all, of these characters all die. All three of your poster guys die. <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, like. What was the point, then, of. To unlock this universe and then kill those three characters? Like, well, I read, where are we like, going to go? Like, more Sarah Paulson stories? Like, what I the read, fuck? I read, though, that, like, apparently this was intended as a trilogy. But I guess nowadays, the you know, obviously, the goal is cinematic universe. So I guess we're going to get the unexpected trio of Spencer Tree Clark, Anya Joy Taylor, I think is her name is. Anna Joy Taylor. And yeah. Glass's or mom. Anna Taylor Joy. <laughs> and, and Mr. Glass's mom. <laughs> Who she's, she's good, but. Yeah, is that the original actress, remember? I can't remember. She didn't look like it, but she might have been in heavy makeup. Um, But, you know, and, you know, like, when I meant at the beginning of the review about this film being condescending, it straight up, like, assumes that we have not been through the Marvel age, the DC age of cinema in the past 10 to 15 years. I disagree. The whole uh, like tease of the finale taking place in a, like a single building, like Avengers Tower, I think was a nod to that. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the dialogue. Like oh. Sarah Paulson's dialogue is like her, her trying to explain how comic book like how comic books work and stuff like that the same way Mr. Glass did sounded like Shyamalan talking to a baby and like I was just like no we you Shyamalan needed to should have worked under the assumption that we know the rules of this game already there's too much reliance on him not being confident enough in Unbreakable's fans and Split's fans to kind of be one in the same yeah it, there's no there, there it, it feels very much like he's trying to even though we know he knows a lot about comic books, it's like he's trying to prove how much he does. Yeah, he's like he's he's trying too much because like Unbreakable has the right amount of it because there's also enough human drama in there that it balances it out correctly. And at that time, audiences didn't know that much about comics. Exactly, and that's yeah. why it works. When you do it now, it doesn't because we've been through what Black Panther is probably going to get nominated on Tuesday for Best Picture, guys. We know what comic books are, and like, and I'm not saying that I'm angry at Shyamalan for doing that necessarily, like. Maybe somewhere in his mind, he doesn't feel like everybody's going to get it. But, you know, like I mean, the line that really made me laugh out, I texted you about this, where I laughed out loud was when Sarah Paulson is talking to, I think it's uh, all three of the, like Spencer, Spencer Tree Clark, Anya, and uh, Mr. Glass's mom. And she's like, Have you ever been to a comic book convention? You see these people sharing in their delusions? I'm like, Whoa, whoa, this is. Dumb as fuck, and like, and and I'm and I'm frustrated because I wanted to enjoy this film. I wasn't the biggest Split fan in the world, 
And I thought that that twist at the end, making it an Unbreakable sequel, was somewhat problematic because I'm like, okay, well, how is this going to work? And also, I kind of liked Unbreakable when it was just its own statement on superheroes, and that was it. And this is my answer to that is Glass, and it kind of unfortunately proves my point because I wanted this to be great. I wanted to be proven wrong, and I didn't get to, I didn't get to that. The idea, though, of thinking it's going to be at the tower and then twisting it into it's all well, happening at the asylum on purpose. That was pretty cool, but I don't like the way it's executed. <laughs> the problem is, is that all the good ideas are getting like dropped. Like, like they're like really cool eggs. And then the eggs are breaking on the ground because someone tripped and I don't know who tripped. I think it's Shyamalan, but it could have been a number of things. So, I don't know. I'm frustrated that I didn't like this movie. I really walked in wanting to have fun. I was going to ignore critics and all that stuff and be like, just go have fun. And I couldn't. Yeah, I could have forgiven if it, if it, like, at least the, the, the secret organization had captured them and then the movie ended. Like, at least leave us with somewhere to go. But it's, it's just such a kick in the pants to, like, wait this long for this movie and then, you know, you know, two years ago, unlock, like, there's more to go with this story. Right. And then shut all down all those opportunities. Like out of the three Unbreakable movies, this is the one that feels like it's the most twisty. I'm not Shyamalan twisty. Yeah, because we didn't even talk about the fact that, like, uh, yeah, Mister Glass did have this elaborate plan to ex- like expose superheroes beyond. Like he had a contingency plan in, in his death, and like that's like a on top of them dying, and then there well, being a cult revealed. Because there's also a twist of his his plan succeeding because the camera he he makes the cameras all around the asylum live stream um or like uh, upload something something i don't know like he yeah he he basically uploads a bunch of youtube videos yeah which, and then and then which, they release them to the world at the end and they sit in the train station from the first movie <laughs> which is like drawn out as this big reveal but like the idea of it doesn't seem that surprising to me and also a little the only surprising part is that the cult really like let that slip like it doesn't sound like this genius plan that uh that elijah had like if he you know if he had lived like they would still be out there so him dying like doesn't triggering that i don't know the the cult's too ill-defined to function in this film if you were like if you really wanted to define that cult better or like give us a build-up to it Kind of like you say, there's a useless scene in a psychiatry uh, in a in a room with three people getting talked to by a psychiatrist about the first unbreakable and the first split. Get rid of that scene and use that time to build up the cult. You don't need to like tell me they're there, but like build something or build up Mr. Glass's plan because like I expect Mr. Glass to be like, okay, I've I've pitted the Beast and David Dunn together so that I can accomplish this other thing while everyone's distracted with this, right? Um. Yeah, and again, for a movie called Glass... But his plan is like, oh, well, I was able to sneak into the surveillance room and save all the videos of what's, like, of the final showdown, which is on the in, in the parking lot because I can't actually... We don't have the budget to actually go to, like, a big, you know, Batman v Superman uh, <laughs> beast fight. Like, right. I, I get that, but it's like, if your plan was, like, I'm just going to actually record... Like he could have just had a vi- uh, his mom get a video camera and shoot them like his twist, performing their powers. Yeah, the twist is a big massive work email <laughs> where everyone's cc'd. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it like doesn't seem that genius. Yeah, but like I mean, like 
I don't know. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, if Shyamalan's now distri- or self-financing these films now and whatnot, he's going to do what he's going to do. It didn't, like, shatter any records <laughs> this week, um, but it did make some money. So it was still number one at the box office. Yeah, so. but I think it's going to be a steep drop-off because uh, yep. I-, I think the lower-than-expected box office is this word amount that we're having of being, like, yeah, it's 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 okay. It's just not it's not great. Like whereas or 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 my opinion, which is just kill it, repeat it with a hammer. But, I mean, like, and I don't really hate it. Like, I mean, I could watch it again. Like, I was really angry when I walked out of it, but I was also because when I got out of the theater, the snow hit in Denver, and I couldn't get an Uber for an hour. So I was just like, thanks a lot, M Night Shyamalan. You got Netflix's weather machine and brought it for your own purposes. Um, Another exciting twist would have been like. Uh, Mr. Glass's plan being like, you know, we go in in the movie with this expectation that it's the Beast, uh, David Dunn, and Mr. Glass squaring off as enemies. Yeah. But Elijah's plan kind of, like, works best when these characters have to find common ground and work together to expose themselves. So if they had somehow, like, had to struggle with, you know, heroes and villains having to team up to find a common goal, a la X-Men 2, uh... Like, maybe to fight Pulse. It would have been character. stronger. Yeah, like, he introduces this common enemy that, you know, is against all three of them. Um, and, yeah, two of the characters are villains, but, you know, it's it's a much more interesting and complicated road to walk down um, if they have to, ba- like, set aside their difference and come together. You know, it's not, not they don't all have to be heroic, but just, like, they have to fight this new thing together. And then there could be, like, something interesting in a next movie but and then if you it's and, over now it's yeah, over yeah and then Shyamalan's whole like he's been making more like genre fare lately like more so than he's ever done like in terms of like being very clear this is what I'm making whereas everything else kind of felt like a blend like Unbreakable's got a thriller-ish vibe to it um it's not just strictly a superhero movie or a drama movie um uh Signs is a sci-fi movie but it's also a horror movie it's it's blends a little bit this film, there were so many moments where I felt it was going to tread back into unbreakable territory in terms of tone, movement, and style. And it just doesn't quite hit it. And I don't know if that's a budgetary reason or if that's just how everything plays out. Uh, also in the Q&A, Shyamalan said that um, you know he doesn't really think about genre and stuff like that. All his movies are about the mind. And his wife's a psychologist, so that's why he's like really interested in this stuff. Um, so, okay. <laughs> you know, he wasn't there to answer questions about the new movie. Right. Um, I mean, he was, but no one, no one in the audience asked anything particularly interesting, even though he invited that, like he invited some like poss- like talking about his career and things like, but no one bit on it, which sucked. But, um, well, they like, were there, there be might polite. be some, I would like, I would really like to see what his explanation is for the, like the cerebral level of what he's going for in this. Cause I don't see it. Right. And it might be there, but. We'd have to I'm dig through some it. articles, and I'm sure he'll come out with something at some point. I will say, though, I appreciate that he has kept going because so many other people could have just given up and just walked away and yeah. not done anything. Well, he said after Unbreakable 1, like, because it didn't do well at the time, or at least not by his... Cause, it you know, did it, fine, it, but it, it came did. off a of sixth sense, so it was like a high bar to yeah. financially live up to. Um, but he was crushed. Like, I think this Unbreakable is his best film, and... You know, he th- sort of thought that too, and when it didn't perform, like he, you know, he questioned, like, you know, am I making movies that actually connect with audiences, or was Sixth Sense a fluke? 
Um, so like this, and that's why you get signs. The village. It's, a, it's you get the lady in the water for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, um, that was really a turning point for him. But like for a guy like who claims that these characters are probably the most important and most passionate he is about making movies, because uh, this feels so rushed and so sloppy, um, it's surprising. I think that what would have been better is if something like this would have happened down the line, and you would have had to you would have had to rebuild up the legacy of David Dunn. I think. Because relegating him to a small portion of this film, the same way you relegate Samuel Jackson, like this is split two with special guest stars Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson, and that's what frustrated me is because like I don't think Bruce Willis is like as lazy as everyone jokes about these days. Like I know he does good stuff. Like Moonrise Kingdom is a great example of that, but we need to give him stuff to do, and this film did not give him anything to do. Other, I I did like the rescue scene where he rescues the cheerleaders. Yeah, it was awesome. But that's it. I don't get anything else. Yep. And that's that fresher. And also him fucking being drowned in a puddle was dumb. And I was just like, this felt insulting. I, when you texted that, you were, I was like, I know, right? Even after he survives, like being almost drowned in a giant water tank, and then like his action scenes in the family are just like him pushing against a you know another forceful object. And you'd uh, think young Randall would come in and save him, but young Randall doesn't do it. Yeah, and that's the other baffling thing is, like, here's these this murderous cult, and, you know... They, the, the editing's really weird on that final moment, too. Like, the one mercenary just, yeah, easily drags David Dunn into the puddle and, like, holds him down. And then his, his son's nearby, like, whining about it, and, you know, they're perfectly fine with killing David Dunn, but they're, they're going to let his mom and Casey and his son just kind of... All right, see you later. We're going. Um, sorry we killed... Actually, not sorry we killed your dad. Like That was totally what we wanted to do. I drowned him in a puddle. That means I, that means I hated him. <laughs> yeah, like they, don't, like they don't assault his son. Like They're just like, yep, we did it. All right, we're packing up. We're out of here. If that cult were to be more impactful-ish, you'd, you'd put him in a van, and then they'd somehow find a way to escape that van. And Sarah Paul's not like, uh, we have three witnesses here <laughs> to our secret organization... We're just gonna we're just gonna go. Which by, which, by the way, their their tattoos on their arms to represent that they're a cult are shamrocks. I propose to you that the cult is a bunch of leprechauns, and the leprechauns are fighting superheroes in this M Night Shyamalan <laughs> world, <laughs> because it somehow in my mind makes more sense than what I saw. <laughs> leprechauns are afraid of like overpowered <laughs> uh, superhumans. Yeah, exactly. Crushing their way alive. Because then that's how they'd get their gold. <laughs> <laughs> they're protecting their lucky charms. <laughs> You're not getting my marshmallow balloons, motherfucker. <laughs> uh. Michael Fassbender plays Lucky from the Lucky Charms commercials at the in the in the fourth class movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's a shame. I wanted to like this a lot. I really do. Yeah. I will say though, if you liked it, props to you. I'm just gonna consider Unbreakable its own thing and split its own thing until the last five minutes. <laughs> so yeah, well. What are we seeing next week? I really don't know. I don't know either. We should still watch Glass again and get James and Ryan on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully they'll be here next week to talk about their opinions of it. Uh, what is next yeah. week? Um, I'm going to look it up. We could uh, do. We could finally do that Fateful Findings commentary. <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't know. This is dead air. This is good podcasting right here. Dead air. 
you listening to this, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, the Kid Who Would Be King and Serenity come out next week, technically. The Kid Who Would Be King is Joe Cornish. Yeah. I did not know that. I would actually like to see that. I'm not so excited about it. I'm sure it's fine. Um, but I think I felt like there was something that's out that we just kind of missed. That uh... <laughs> Oh, well, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We always do here on Real Nerds Podcast. We figure out what movie to see, and then we see it, god yeah. damn it. And actually, we've got one more week before Lego <laughs> Movie 2. That's Miss Bala or Arctic, so we got, we've got got two weeks to fill. All right, right on. So, Well, I'm sure we could figure it out. There's some award contenders that we could always peep out and watch and review. Yeah, maybe we'll see Mary Queen of Scots or something. Or... <laughs> oh, shoot. Corinne had some things to say about that. I wonder if we would have stuff to say about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Stan and Ollie's out, so we could do that. Ooh, I want to see that Zach centric episode. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> Let me tell you this part about Stan and Ollie's career. Let me tell you this part about Gold Major Hollywood here. Jack Benny doesn't connect to this, but I'm going to make it connect anyway. I'm going to start fading out his mic. <laughs> All right, until next week, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.